right, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. Uh, he comes to us from California, and he is the son of an author of a book that was published in 1995. His name is John Spearing, S-P-I-E-R-I-N-G. His father is Frank. He published a book titled Who Killed Polly? The True Story Behind the Abduction and Murder of Polly Kloss. It was a very famous case. Uh, myself growing up in California, in Northern California, uh, was all over the news. Uh, it happened in the Bay Area, particularly Petaluma in the uh, Marin County. The book was published in July 1st, 1995. Unfortunately, Mr. Spearing, Frank Spearing has passed away but uh, I'm delighted that his son has taken time out of his day to talk about the book. He sent me a bunch of information, which I read over. And I, you know, like I said, I'm very familiar with the case, at least from the media perspective. But we're going to hear a different perspective tonight from John. So John Spearing, are you there? Yes. Hey, William. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, thank you for being, uh, agreeing to the interview. For people who haven't heard your name or your father's name, can you talk a little bit about his work and... Uh, your kind of association with this book, Who Killed Polly? Sure. Uh, my dad was a true crime writer. He started out actually as an insurance investigator in the 60s and um, was really good at, uh, found that uh, he was great at investigating uh, uh, cases. And uh, he also uh, was a playwright. He started out as a playwright, but, but he, he also wanted to be a, an author and, and, and write books. So he did both, and uh, he got his break writing The Man Who would, uh, who Got Capone, which went on to become the basis for um, uh, Brian De Palma's Untouchables movie with uh, Sean Connery. And then he wrote another book about Jack the Ripper, which became a, um, a, a bestseller worldwide. It was banned in England, uh, naming uh, Jack the Ripper as a member of the royal family, Prince Edward, Duke of Clarence, Prince, uh, Queen Victoria's grandson. And then he, and that was for, with Doubleday. And then he, uh, for Random House, uh, he wrote a book about Lizzie Borden. And that was also a, a huge bestseller about, uh, he, he, his um, theory was after going up to Fall River, reviewing the case, and uh, uh, no one had written, had really investigated the trial and all the, all the uh, documents. And he surmised that um, follow the money of course, is always the, uh, the big motive. And uh, he discovered that the money led to uh, not Lizzie Borden, but her sister, Emma. So it's a very interesting story. You should uh, try to pick that up if you can. It's on Amazon. And then, um, long story short, he and I, I went to, uh, we had family in Monterey. My father was from uh, Palo Alto, and uh, my grandmother had moved to Carmel, and my uncle Jim uh, was a lawyer, is a lawyer in Monterey. He's uh, an accident claim lawyer, but he's he's pretty popular there. And uh, my uncle Bob was a stockbroker. They also lived there, so I, we moved there really for for me to uh, go to college and uh, for my dad to catch up with family. And he was semi-retired at the, at the time in poor health, so. Uh, he and I, <clears throat> we were, uh, we used to go, uh, my uncle lived on Del Monte golf course in uh, Monterey and, uh, on the, at the end of the golf course, there's a Hyatt, um, hotel has a bar, a sports bar there. So we'd go in the sports bar and have, you know, before or after we saw my uncle, we'd have some drinks 
and watched uh, a ball game. You know, we love the Yankees. So one time, Holly Class case came on the TV while we were sitting there having a beer, and the waitress came over, and she said, uh, she, it's the father. She was taken for the money. He was involved with drugs. And uh, my father and I looked at each other like, you got to be kidding me. So uh, my dad said, well, how do you know this? And she says, well, I go out with the Sonoma County Sheriff. So my father and I, we looked at each other and thought, you know, this is incredible. So um, afterwards, the case became uh, a, a, a national, um, it was a national case because it was the first time a missing child had been looked for with the use of the internet. And uh, Winona Ryder was from Petaluma. So she got involved immediately, put up $200,000 to find Polly. And uh, they had a huge grassroots movement using the internet, looking for this girl for a month. And her, her, just, just to interject, her abduction took place October 1st, 1993, right? That's correct. Sorry. So it took them a month um, to uh, bring in Richard Allen Davis, who was the, uh, they uh, arrested for her kidnapping and he led them to the body. And uh, it took them over six weeks to identify the body because the FBI claimed the coroner was in Bosnia. They're, uh, they didn't use the local sheriff coroner. They used the FBI um, uh, um, forensic specialist to, uh, I guess he was the only one in, in the entire FBI, but there was a lot of strange things that happened in that case. Very true. And uh, Richard Allen Davis, can you talk about him and his, like what his history was leading up to the abduction of Polly Kloss, who was 12 years, 12 years old at the time. Um, Richard Allen Davis was a career criminal and he was, uh, he just was paroled for kidnapping. And uh, he had only been out a month. And then uh, supposedly he, uh, he was up in Ukiah, was staying with his, uh, on an Indian reservation with his sister. And uh, for some reason, apparently he thought it'd be a good idea to go down to Petaluma one night and find some girl. And, and uh, that's uh, the official story. The official story is that it was totally random, that he just happened to be in Petaluma and happened to walk in this house. I mean, it's a very strange story. Can you talk, talk about the details of the abduction for people who haven't heard of this case? Well, this, the really bizarre thing is when he... There were uh, Polly was in there uh, with her two friends having a slumber party. Uh, it was 10.30 at night, I believe. And uh, Richard Allen Davis came in through the window uh, with a knife and said, who lives here? And Polly said, I do. And he said, I'm just doing this for the money. And he, uh, he proceeded to tie up the three girls and Polly said, offered her him uh, $50 that was in her jewelry box on the bureau. And he ignored her and didn't take the money. So one of the girls, the um, interesting thing is um, when he said, uh, who lives here? One of the girls stood up for some reason thinking he was talking uh, to her, I believe. Or I think he's, he meant um, he, was, he was getting ready to take one of them. And he says, okay, now stand up. 
uh, directing to Polly. And one of the other girls stood up thinking he was talking to her. And he said, no, not you. And um, he proceeded to take Polly. Now, if you're just doing it for the money, uh, why wouldn't you take the money that he offered, that she offered? And if it was something else, like he was a child molester, why would he care which girl lived there? And why wouldn't he have taken, I don't know, all three of them? Uh, so there's a lot of weird things that happen. Yeah, very strange that he was specific about that and he seemed to uh, focus on Polly instead of the other two. And then what happened next? I mean, he left with, I mean, it's known that he left with Polly Kloss, but there was also some suspicious things that happened that same night, correct? Well, before he left, he said, she said, uh, Polly said, please don't wake up my mother. She's sleeping in the next room. And uh, Davis became furious. He says, you're supposed to be alone. There's not supposed to be anybody here. And she says, no, she's sleeping in the next room. And as it turns out, the mom was supposed to be off that night, or working rather, at a call center, which, which her job, she worked nights. And they were putting in a new phone system, so she happened to be home that night. The other thing is there's witnesses that saw another man uh, at the back door, and they testified in court. And uh, none of this was picked up by uh, the media. Um or, or, and the police didn't really pursue that for some reason, which is very strange. And uh, so anyway, so he left, he, as he was leaving with Polly, um, he, he, uh, he took her to a, uh, well, let me, let me backtrack a little bit here. Okay. So <clears throat> he um, took Polly, they left an hour later, uh, Davis is trespassing on Dana Jaffe's property. It's a, uh, a wooded area, a very secluded wooded area, uh, about five miles from Polly's house. And two sheriff, two sheriff deputies show up. They're called to the property because she calls the police. They show up, and Davis is standing there outside of his car drinking a beer, and Polly's nowhere in sight. They ask him what he's doing there. He says he's sightseeing at 1130 at night and uh, he has an open container. Um, apparently they ran his driver's license and they said nothing came up, even though he was just paroled for kidnapping. Meanwhile, an APB was supposedly had gone out for this girl who had just been kidnapped. So um, they release Davis and uh, they don't even consider him a suspect for over a month. And, until they finally arrested him at uh, the Indian reservation at his sister's house in Ukiah. Right. It like took him a while to kind of key into that. There was some type of mix up between the radio radios that they were using. So the APB didn't go out to the police, if I remember correctly, but he was half Indian, right? So he was on reservations. Or was it the Coyote Valley Indian reservation? That's was, correct. Yeah. So, but, but the other thing is, um, after five hours later, after Polly was abducted, the FBI had 15 agents show up and take over the uh, Sonoma uh, Sheriff Department. And normally, you have to wait 24 hours to call in the FBI for a missing children case. But of course, it was a, an abduction. But um, it was unusual that you would send that many agents that quickly. Um, 
I don't know uh, what the protocol is for that. And then um, there was like the parents, she, she was the product of two parents who went through a divorce, right? And didn't they like really bicker and hate each other? Just if I remember correctly. That's correct. And as a matter of fact, Mark Class was kicked off of the Poly Class Foundation. Right. For, yeah, sorry. Nobody knows exactly why. Um, obviously, you don't want to kick a father when he's down during that situation, but apparently he had um, misappropriated funds. And um, my theory was that he maybe he was trying to raise ransom money to pay for Polly to be returned. And uh, it's just a theory, but why else would he have uh, done that? Right. And so then, um, I mean, there, there was just so much activity after she was kidnapped. I mean, it was daily. I would be growing, being in that area, I was actually there right around that time in 93. And just, it was on the news every day, follow-up, searching, People had, I think they brought in psychics, if I remember correctly. But right. all, yeah. So there was, it was just a massive manhunt. There were manhunts. And then they finally got this guy, and he just turned out to be a real monster, uh, Davis, but just a career thief, criminal. And so what happened after they arrested uh, Davis? What did he say that he, made him culpable? He, his story was, well, first of all, there was a, a, a confession that was uh, suspect. Um, everyone said or thought that the confession had been coerced. And uh, he claims in the confession, he states that he was high and just ended up there and randomly went into some house, grabbed the girl. Um, no, no reason was given for why he targeted her. Uh, it was just a, a strange confession, and uh, obviously he wasn't that high. The police would have taken him in immediately when they, the sheriffs, when they found him on the road an hour later. Um, and I'm just doing this for the money. And his sister said, well, I have two uh, kids, and he never, ever did anything to them. He sure could have. And uh, her, his sister's uh, husband said uh, they was, was working with someone else, he told us. And, and didn't they, and they eventually brought them in for trial, but he never said what money he was getting, correct? That was never exposed or revealed. No, and I, my father always thought that perhaps it got so hot so fast that whoever he was supposed to make the drop with didn't show up or he couldn't get the money Um and as a result, may have just killed her there, but uh, or she may have been um, shuttled off by by whoever he was working with there at the site at her house, because there was another car also seen outside the house. It was a, I believe it was a, I think Davis was driving a Pinto, and the other car was a Ford, but Davis's Pinto wasn't outside, so that was strange, and. Um, the, uh, the, the the father um, was never uh, he didn't cooperate with us in the beginning. The family was was um, they would they would at least talk to my father, and um, soon after uh, he shut down. My father, um, the book came out. Mark wouldn't talk to us anymore, and uh, he never talked to us actually. Uh, but he never, um, even though my father had these theories 
and, uh, you know, semi-accusations uh, from the lady that told us initially that she was taken for, he was involved with drugs and she was taken because he didn't, he owed them money. Uh, he's, you know, interesting thing. I saw an article in Vanity Fair about, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, and but with interview with Mark Class, and they noted that he was missing his pinky finger, which is, int- we all know what that means. All right. Yeah. Who's that? So he kind of glossed over it and didn't answer how that happened. Well, that would be an interesting question to ask. I'm sure he's got a good answer. I bet he does. But I mean, it's interesting because your father published, you guys published the book in 95. This is even before um, Davis got tried and convicted and got death penalty sent to San Quentin. So there was so much there. And Mr. Kloss, it was like, I don't remember the mother being as media hungry or savvy as he was, because he was always, I mean, if they, somebody could find, if he could find a, a microphone, he would just start talking, if I remember correctly. Did you oh, have the same impression? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the interesting thing is, well, he was given a polygraph test by the police and said, you know what, you know what happened. You've known from the beginning what's going on. And uh, he was a suspect in the beginning. Interesting. And um, he, you know, my father raised all these questions and he never ever once threatened us with any legal action or uh, came after us whatsoever. The only thing he did do was undermine any talk shows my dad had. So we were supposed to be on Oprah. He was supposed to be on Oprah and Geraldo. And behind the scenes, Mark said, I'll, I won't do the show if Frank's on and uh, just discredited him. But he never uh, came after my father legally in any way, which is odd. That is odd. I mean, and your dad kind of thought his conclusion was that he had something, there was something sketchy about him. Is that correct? Was that his opinion? Absolutely. And we, um, we found, there's a a writer from, um, I think it was, um, I'm not sure what the name of the paper was, the something Sentinel, Napa Sentinel, I think Harry Martin was up there. And he said that he had uh, contacts that told him Mark was involved at, uh, I guess that he worked at a Hertz rent-a-car at the airport, and he was there was some uh, he was involved with drugs. I don't know. Gotcha. This was the rumor, uh, you know, on a large scale. So, gotcha. so Klaus was a large-scale uh, rumor to be a large-scale drug user. I mean, he's still around, right? Well, involved in trafficking. Gotcha. Was there any corroboration of that? Was, I mean, other than rumors or anything? We couldn't uh, get any more information on that. I mean, if Harry Martin's still alive, he would have more info on that. I, you know, we we had enough stuff to talk about, and certainly weren't going to uh, accuse, you know, sure. Mark of doing that. But there was, I mean, it's interesting. You sent me some of the information. Kloss was right there behind Bill Clinton signing the notorious 1994 crime bill, partially authored, at least in the Senate, by current presidential candidate Biden. So there, you know, these guys were, he was very much in, in the public eye all the time. Well, that's very, you know, that's interesting because my father always thought, what, what are they hiding? Why would they go to this great length to protect this man? Even if he was involved somehow, it was, um, you know, indirectly with his daughter's abduction. And at the end of the day, they just, every step of the way, they kept covering this up and dragging it out. And uh, it was just odd. So my, when he finally signed the crime bill, 
my father had a eureka moment. He says, there it is. You know, he's, he's a hero, and they didn't want to take him down. And uh, there was a lot on the line on that crime bill, if you remember. Yes. And uh, the other really interesting thing is, if you really want to go there, is uh, Bill Clinton signed that crime bill, and he was also involved with uh, Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> So, I don't know. Oh, and there's a lot of drug uh, rumors about him in Arkansas as well. I mean, some would, wouldn't say more than rumors, but Epstein with the child trafficking, Charles, yeah, absolutely, QAnon stuff. So no. yeah, no. I mean, Epstein notorious. I mean, I think that it's pretty much verified that he was involved in all kinds of trafficking, even going back to the '90s. So um, it is fascinating. It is fascinating that Klaus was right there, and that that is still a relevant issue that crime bill because it was very law and orders very strict and i think that the three strikes rule in california came out of the Kloss case absolutely so that, yeah that's right exactly and that's why it was so important to not uh, you know taint this case they needed the case to be clean they needed it to work for that reason and uh you know it's possible right and davis really was kind of the poster boy for the three strikes rule if you look through his uh rap sheet it's just incredible guy was constantly breaking the law burglary all kinds of all kinds of stuff drinking and driving auto theft just in and out of jail constantly just couldn't keep himself out of trouble ever exactly exactly and uh you know he 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 was a career criminal he denied it to, to this i mean he always denied uh you know sexually assaulting her uh so what was the motive then and who was going to pay him the money if he was just doing it for the money uh, not only that, but they, uh, you know, the other, they, they asked him if he'd been working with someone else. And he said, no, of course, he's he's not going to snitch on someone. I mean, there's there's a code with the criminals. So, um, right, especially a lifelong criminal who's in and out of jail, too. So that, that ethos uh, definitely is there. And he, oh, notoriously, I remember seeing the, um, the, the mail or the, the kind of, print media really freaking out when he accused the dad of being a pedophile and said that the daughter had said something really inflammatory that the father was a pedophile. He said it to his face and then flipped him the finger and that in court. And that was all over the news too. Whose father? It was, it was Davis was in court with Mr. Kloss, the father of Polly. Right. And he said something like, the last thing she said to me was, don't do me like my daddy does oh, me or wow. something like that. I don't know. That sounds like a dig. Oh, it is. A, it was a huge dig. But I think that he did say that. And there's pictures of Davis, you know, with his finger flipping off, I think, either the judge or the dad. I mean, I remember yeah, I, seeing I, I those. I remember that now. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, Klaus was getting under his skin. Or maybe there was more to it. Maybe they knew each other on some level. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. It just was very, it's just so, it's so random that that's what really freaked people out was the randomness of the crime, but there could not have, it may have not have been random. That's what's really scary. That's right. Um, um, so, so Davis, what, I think he's still, he's still in um, San Quentin and what's the, what's Mr. Kloss? What, I can't remember his first name. What was his name? Uh, uh, Mark. Mark he had, uh, just calling you. I, I haven't seen or heard from him in uh, many years. Uh, he's, I guess he still has a foundation. He started his own foundation um, at some point. And he kind of did become kind of the go-to guy for a lot of these talk shows 
um, as, you know, parents' rights and also, you know, ch- uh, children's abductions and stuff. Like, I just remember him over time being referenced. Like, do you have an opinion on this case? Absolutely. He, was, yeah. he, he did great work afterwards, of course. Uh, his father, Joe Kless, um, you know, Polly's grandfather, she, he was always, he always picked up the phone from my father. Uh, even after the case, uh, and the book was released, uh, he lived in Monterey. So my father would, would, uh, go see him and they'd sit down and have coffee. And, uh, he's Joe class said to my dad, he said, the truth will come out someday. And, uh, that's an interesting quote. Um, you know, the, uh, yeah, it's such an important, I mean, the, the, just the kind of political politicization politicization of the case was remarkable how it changed uh legislation nationwide there's really something else yes exactly um and, and winona Ryder getting involved of course right so um and what i mean do you, what else about the case should the public know is there any other pertinent facts or anything well, it's never been solved. The uh, the other man has never been identified. Why? The motive is the big thing. I'm just doing this for the money. It was not a sexual, he was not a sexual predator. Uh, the woman he kidnapped was, it was more of a carjacking. And it was uh, an adult woman that he kidnapped. Um, the uh, motive is the big thing. And no one's ever, they, they just, you know, it was the first time the internet was used, but they didn't have social media, of course, back then. And uh, they swept a lot of these things under the rug. There's so many questions. Um, for instance, why wasn't Davis arrested that night? Right. Why wasn't he given a field sobriety test? You know, I certainly would have if they had pulled me over. <laughs> right. No, it was super suspicious because he was just loitering on somebody's property. Drinking a can of beer yeah, and then open beer. get back in his car and go on his way. And then he pulled over at the bottom of the hill and the cops uh, just drove by and, and didn't even go back to say, why did you just, we just told you to leave. You just pulled over again, just disrespecting what we told you to do. Um, do you, what's your opinion of the case? Do you think that uh, Polly Kloss was murdered at that time or that she was kept alive for some period of time? You know, I, I, I had, it's gone both ways. I thought uh, when we were researching the case, I thought, well, the police showed up and he killed her immediately. That's why she didn't cry out in the woods. But uh, they didn't find her body there. Maybe he just dumped it off later. But then I thought, well, there, when the other man, um, uh, the witnesses mentioned the other man at the scene uh, in the back of the house, a clean-shaven man, uh, two witnesses saw a clean sh- tall, clean-shaven man behind the house. Um, then I thought, well, maybe he uh, he took Polly with him and Davis. Maybe they, they met on that road there to exchange money and, and Polly. And maybe he took off with Polly. And why did it take so long for them to identify the body uh, they knew D- the FBI was involved and Davis was never a suspect. He got pulled over that night, on, you know, in the same town. He was a kidnapper and they knew where he, he, he didn't go anywhere. He was living with his sister. Why wouldn't they have, you know, at least interviewed the guy? And uh, he looked, oh, and he, he looked exactly like the sketch. 
it was originally released. So, I mean, uh, you, you know, maybe you can say the Sonoma Sheriff's were Keystone cops every step of the way, but then the FBI not following this up. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And then for them to take six weeks after the body was found, six weeks to release, uh, the, to finally get the autopsy uh, done because they said their forensic expert was in Bosnia. Uh, it just makes you think. And then Barry Collins, who is the defense attorney, told my father and I outside the courthouse that he thought the body was planted. And, so it was found in Cloverdale, which is kind of up, I think, the 101 north of Petaluma. That's correct. When you say planted, so, so it was moved, like somebody had it somewhere and put it somewhere else? Well, he, the body was never clear. The family was never uh, allowed to identify the body. And... Uh, the um, it's just an odd thing that uh, if, if it was my daughter, I'd want to go see, you know, I don't care how long it's been. I'd have to see the body. And uh, Mark de- declined um, uh, almost as if he knew either that was not her or that it certainly was her. So that was definitely a strange thing. Strange. And, and she was buried like right off the 101, right? Like right off the freeway. Uh, 20 road, 20 feet off the road right there under a piece of uh, some brush and um it was uh it was just so strange because it took so long for them to catch dave to bring davis in and then of course he took them right to the body apparently but why drag it out and and then you know she didn't have any uh, the dental records are pretty generic um she was not identified by dental records just by her clothing and um, anyway, it's just a bizarre case. It really is strange. It really is. And then he, like, I think he almost overdosed from opiates. And yeah, I mean, well, I, actually, I know. you know, uh, it, it, I was mistaken. It didn't take them uh, one month to find Davis. It took them two months. Two months, right. I just read here. Yeah, he, uh, I forgot. I mean, I think, I don't know why they finally keyed into him. I think it was something, I think. Well, it was a oh no, it was an anonymous tip. Anonymous tip, okay. That's what it was, which is even more bizarre. Interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So he got he became the prime suspect from an anonymous tip. Got interviewed, confessed. That was it. And he was kind of like a looked like a boogeyman. Like I think he was fully tatted, sleeved. Sure. Like sure. A, like a hardcore criminal. Yeah, he looked looking. very scary. Kind of a nasty temperament, yeah. Uh, at least public public temperament. What what do you think are the chief takeaways of this criminal case? Like what? Uh, what do, I mean, I guess the public should know that there's a lot more to the story. Yeah, I think the uh, unfortunately, I think uh, this was a political uh, case, and I think that they didn't know what to do, and I think they dragged that dragged it out, and and, and you know hit everything as long as they could and uh knowing that davis was going to be the poster child for the three strikes law and they couldn't taint the case so i just think it worked out they needed somebody they needed a high profile case this was perfect maybe they decided that before they knew how dirty mark was or uh, i shouldn't say that but you know the the details alleged allegedly yeah i mean there's so many right 
I mean, it is very odd. And there were other oddities too. I think they took the case down to Santa Clara County. I think that was also like not the not the jurisdiction of where the case happened, but I think he was tried in San Jose, if I remember. Right, right. Like it's just just oddity after oddity. You know? And also the, uh, the you know they identified the the um, evidence uh, linking Davis to Polly was a palm print. It was a partial palm print. And after that, oh, a year or two after that case, uh, the FBI crime lab was. Uh, shaken up because they had been creating evidence. Um, I don't want to have the FBI after me because they already have, uh, they did come after my father and I when, when this book came out. In what way? Uh, well, I, twice. they when, we, when the book first came out, we went down to Los Angeles for a, my dad had an interview with KTLA and we, we um, signed into a hotel. We, we had a reservation for a week or so and uh, showed up at the hotel on Pico and uh, Ocean in Santa Monica, and uh, we went out. We uh, when we showed up to check into our room, uh, they said, "Oh, sorry, your room's not ready yet." And uh, uh, we said, "What do you mean it's not ready yet?" So they said, "Well, we have an FBI convention right now." A true story, swear to God. So when we finally checked, we had to wait uh, twenty minutes, a half hour, to go up to our room to drop off our bags. So when we when we get went up to the room with the bellhop, uh, there was a guy in our room just putting back one of the vents behind the bed oh, in, in the wall. So my you know we we thought oh my god what the hell is going on here? So we went across the street to the sports bar to watch the uh, the Yankees and, and the Mariners had a big playoff game, and all of a sudden my dad and I were at the bar and there was no one there and all of a sudden all these guys in suits came up and sat around us. And uh, it was just, it was really strange. So we knew that uh, we'd been, you know, we were under surveillance. Um, why? I don't know. Maybe they just, maybe they thought we had some more information or I wasn't sure. So then a couple of weeks later, we went up to San Francisco and uh, we were sitting at, the, at a bar by the Fairmont Hotel watching a ball game. Uh, five o'clock, six o'clock. And this guy sits next to between my father and I and starts talking to us and, he asked me, uh, he, he knew a lot. He said, you, you're, you guys are from Monterey? And he just knew a lot. He, he knew too much. He just, you know, was just asking these really odd questions. And then he brought up the Polly case. And um, so my father was tired and, and uh, he went up to his hotel room. And I, I stayed with this guy for a little while. And he offered to come up to my room. He said, uh, you party. And uh, I said, yeah, I guess so. And, and he obviously says, well, and he had, he was in a suit and he had a briefcase and uh, he says, uh, what do you like? And I say, he's like, you like pot? I said, well, I don't really do that anymore. He says, you want some Coke? And I said, no, thanks. And uh, it's just, he had all this stuff in his, in his briefcase apparently. And it was just the oddest thing. And I, I was, you know, really shaken by that. And uh, I just, I knew. And then, he kept pressing me with the questions about the case. So finally I thought, you know, I'm just going to tell him, I said, we made it all up. I, I just wanted to, I was scared. I didn't know what was happening. So um, after I said that, I, I tried to convince him that we had just made the whole thing up and uh, he, he gave up at that point, but uh, you know, it was very, um, so it seems like they had an interest in the case after your book was put, you know, published in 95. 
And uh, yeah, so I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. There's a lot riding on that case. It was a very national case. There was tons of legislation, tons of things that really, if you go back and read the 1994 Crime Act, it had vast implications on many, many, many criminal cases. It was like the beginning of the sex crimes registry, if I remember correctly, was that? Yeah, all kinds of stuff. So a lot of people probably wanted to make sure that that legislation stayed in place, which it has. Not only that, but after the trial, my father tried to get some more, uh, you know, stuff for the book. And uh, the FBI said that they were still, the case was still open. They were still investigating it. And what was there to investigate? (laughs) Wow, that's interesting. They already been sentenced, so... Wow. Yeah, let's see. The true it was the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act made a hundred thousand new police, fifteen billion dollars in funding. Like these are pretty massive. After the one on one California street shooting, I remember that as well. We see there's a lot on the line, and they didn't want to jeopardize it. Who knows uh, what kind of conspiracy was really behind her abduction? But uh, right, what would you do at that point if you had all that on the line? I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it was the right thing to do. I'm just saying that, you know, it's not beyond reason that they might might have gone ahead with that. All right, Violence Against Women Act, Jacob Wetterling, Crimes Against Children, Sexually Violent Offender Registration Act, um, all kinds of stuff. So there, uh, there was a big bill. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff. Boot camps for delinquent minors, three strikes provision for repeat offenders. I mean, you can just read through all the... the implications are vast i think that trump some of his uh some of his reforms directly addressed all the stuff that happened in this act that's true that's true uh you know you asked me what i thought uh about what happened to her but my father he he believed that she was abducted and sold into white slavery and uh, he became friends uh, after uh his book came out John Cummins from the National Institute of Missing Children reached out to my dad and they became friends. And uh, he, he told us all kinds of stories. There was um, hundred thousand children were being uh, abducted a year and sold into white slavery. And he had military uh, uh, friends and witnesses that saw, um, you know, American girls in Saudi Arabia being uh, held as sex slaves. And, you know, uh, there was a lot of money involved. And uh, now I find uh, someone sent me a link uh, two days ago that now the number is not 100,000. Now the number is 750,000 children are are disappearing every year now. Wow, that's a huge number. I mean, those things, uh, they do happen. If you look into yachting and all this stuff, there's a huge underground trade. Epstein's a perfect example. But what comes to mind is the Yosemite murders that involved these three girls. I I think it was right around the time of Polly Kloss, actually. And uh, I talked to Steve Sanzeri, and he said one of the girls was probably trafficked and was sexually trafficked and kept alive for a month. It's terrifying, but taken to like Modesto or something. And then, you know, they once they were done with her, they killed her. Terrible. And it's happened to like Paul Holly Bobo is in one case that comes to mind. So these are really crazy events with these guys doing drugs and just, yeah. horror, just nightmare stuff. There's a lot of money involved. And uh, Davis is. Uh... He, uh, the uh, family, I, I, I know that there was a meth connection up there. They raided the, uh, the reservation, and Davis's sister, I think, and his brother-in-law were arrested in a meth uh, raid. I guess they were, I don't know if they were trafficking it, but 
for the FBI to go in there and raid raid the uh, whatever was going on. It was a large scale. Well, I think I read that when Davis was arrested, he had like ounces of meth. So he had had meth on his, on right. his person, if I remember. Definitely a drug connection there. Yeah. So that, that uh, yeah, these kind of criminal groups, uh, meth, you know, there's a lot of weird sex trafficking. I mean, same thing that happened in the Yosemite murders. I think that there were other people who were co-conspirators who were unindicted then. I think it was Steve. I can't remember his last name, but uh, right around the time of Polly Kloss. So, you know, and some of those back then, Marin was much more rural than it is today. Not saying that it's rural, but sure. uh, it's still, you know, when I grew up in California back in the 70s and 80s, there were still heavy-duty biker bars in the peninsula. Right. Rough, rough crews. I mean, even in Monterey, certain places, there were bars you just did not go into. Man. It's true. It's, it's very so it's changed a lot in 30 years. I mean, it sure has. So. Yeah, 26 years ago. Yeah. So uh, before we wrap up, John, is there anything else that you would like to add or anything about, I mean, we know your dad's books are all on Amazon. Um, is there anything we missed? Anything you want to? No, I just want to thank you for, uh, for uh, finding this story and uh, reaching out to me. I've never done this before and uh, I'm not a, uh, I'm a little nervous. I thank you for being so patient with me. Oh, <laughs> I'm oh, sure uh, I, I can't uh, hold a candle to my father. He was uh, a tremendous investigator and speaker yeah so his his book on jack the ripper was prince jack the true story of jack the ripper by that's frank right. spear that's right you can get a paperback version on amazon right now for 855 dollars no oh joke my. oh my <laughs> so that was written in 78 lizzie was right before who killed polly that was 84 with a rewrite in 1991 polly Kloss, the book we discussed today is who Killed Polly, the true story behind the abduction and murder of Polly Kloss by Frank Spearing. But this has been John Spearing. So, John Spearing, thank you so much. Thank you, William. All right, have a great day. Appreciate it.